We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Focci here on Foch Fridays, delivering a brand new episode of Setting the Pace on PacersTalk.net. We have a fun episode for you today. We are joined by Jason Pat of Bullblog, as well as a contributor to Clutch Points and Forbes. He's going to be uh, giving a rundown of everything that we need to know for the Chicago Bulls matchup, as well as just a rundown in the Eastern Conference playoff race right now. But I thought we'd, unfortunately, because we have to, Talk about the loss to the Milwaukee Bucks. Now guys, I don't know what your expectations were going into this game. I was hopeful that the Pacers would come out and compete. I felt like that's what they did. I know they lost by 19 points, but this was a Pacers team that was down 22 points in the first quarter. Scratched, clawed, fought back, and made it a two-point game at halftime. Going into the third quarter, I felt like, hey, we're going to take the best punch that Milwaukee can give us. And that's a Milwaukee team that had not lost back-to-back games all season. They were coming off a loss to Miami. This is in Milwaukee, so you know they're going to be ready to get, you know, not to say some revenge, but to bounce back. And I was hoping we'd see a Malcolm Brogdon revenge game. And that's definitely not what happened because... Brogdon suffers a left hip injury. I mean, he left the game, played about 11 minutes, a sore left hip 
is what they said. He's now doubtful for the, the matchup against the Chicago Bulls. Guys, this is the seventh docu- seven different documented injury for Malcolm Brogdon this year. Is he the most unlucky guy in the NBA right now? Because these are all unrelated injuries. Look at the breakdown. A hand injury, a groin injury, a left hamstring injury, and a back injury. That's all um, in November and December. And he suffers a laceration as well as a concussion in January. February, my man skates by injury-free before starting off March with the sore left hip. I hope this is not a lingering injury. We know Brogdon is playing more minutes and a bigger role than he's played in the past. And I hope that he's not breaking down because we talked about it before. When Malcolm Brogdon has it going, this Pacers team is far more dangerous. I find it hard to believe that it's just anything more than a coincidence that Malcolm Brogdon, over that four-game winning streak, was averaging over 20 points per game, shooting 50% from the field. And 40% from three. I mean, this guy has this Pacers team going at a, a just a a high volume, a positive note, whatever you want to call it. He hits clutch shots down the stretch. He The assist numbers have been great lately. So to be able to be without Oladipo, without Malcolm Brogdon, and without Jeremy Lamb, I don't know how you could expect to go into Milwaukee and walk out with a win. So while the Pacers, you know, lost by 19, they were outscored by 17 points in the second half. I thought in that third quarter, you know, third quarter they were outscored by eight, but the Pacers went on a 10-0 run to end the third quarter to even just be able to go into the fourth quarter being down by nine. So didn't feel great about that, but guys, this is the top offensive team in the league, basically the top defensive team in the league, being led by the reigning MVP and potential defensive player of the year. So, look, we're not going to harp on all the negatives because while you know Giannis still put up 29 points, 12 rebounds and 6 assists, he shot 10 of 23 from the field. And I wanted to tip my hat to Miles Turner because I felt like Miles made things difficult at times for Giannis, I he got him caught up in, in three three different times. The Pacers either had you know jump balls situations, or Giannis was just prevented from being able to do whatever he wanted. Um, so, got to be able to give Miles Turner credit there. He didn't run from this matchup. Now, the Pacers came out in that second quarter sizzling. They were hot. You know, you had Road McDermott in full effect. At one point, he was like four for four from three. Then the Pacers came out cold in that third quarter from three. They went 0 for 8. That was a big difference. Uh, the three-point attempts, I thought it was evident. Um, Milwaukee went 13 of 46 from three. Not a great percentage, but they let it fly 19 more times than the Pacers. They were just 7 of 27 from three. You got to get those numbers up. You got to get those numbers up. I had been basically telling everybody I knew Recently, that the Pacers were an improved team uh, basically following the All-Star break as it related to free throws and rebounds. And last night, that was not the case. Milwaukee ends up going to the line 22 times. They make 20 of 22. Pacers just 9 of 11 from the free throw strike. And then rebounding. Big difference. 
Pacers got out-rebounded 56-39 last night. I do not see the Pacers beating anybody when they're out-rebounded by 17. All right, the free throw differential, that was big. The 17 rebound differential, that's far too much. So if there was one positive note that I saw, TJ McConnell. I don't know if TJ McConnell was listening to the previous episode, but you know I wasn't harsh on McConnell, but I let him know that he had been in a slump lately. McConnell was someone who had only had five or more assists in two out of his last 14 games. He had only scored more than two points, and I think it was about one of his last 10 games, one of his last nine. So McConnell, a, a real true, obviously, hey, he got more minutes. Played about 12 more minutes in this game than he did the previous game. So you play 30 minutes, you're going to see an expanded role. McConnell ends up with 14 points, 6 assists. The 4 turnovers is probably just a product of handling the ball far more than before. But McConnell, 7 of 13 from the field. In the first half, specifically the second quarter, McConnell was huge. He really was. He was hitting some, some runners. I mean, just getting guys involved. That was basically the positive note that in a 19-point loss, he was just minus three in the plus-minus differential. I don't want to look too much into that because then you got guys like Gogo who was plus 17 and Jakar plus 20 when we know that most of that was at the end of the game when things were, you know, out of hand. Um, So not going to look into the plus-minus too much. Don't want to harp on the loss too much at all because the Pacers were hot coming in that game on a four-game winning streak, winners of six of seven. So let's just kind of shift our attention to something else. I thought we'd bring in uh, Jason Pat right now to highlight the upcoming matchup against the Bulls where the Pacers can get back on track and they're likely going to be without Malcolm Brogdon. And then you got Oladipo, questionable, TJ Warren, questionable, Doug McDermott, and Jakar Sampson, also questionable. But hey, let's see what Jason Pat has to say about this. We'll be right back. All right, everybody, what is going on? I want to welcome on a special guest right now. We have editor for Clutch Points, as well as contributor to Bloggable, as well as Forbes, Jason Pat. Jason, what's going on? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm doing great. So I figured we would use this time to talk about the upcoming matchup between the Indiana Pacers and the Chicago Bulls. Uh, When you're listening to this, uh, they will be playing tonight, Friday night, the 37-25 and Pacers go into Chicago to take on the 21-41 and 41 Bulls uh, as the Pacers look for a season sweep. But, Jason, it's not going to be an easy one. Uh, looks like Malcolm Brogdon is doubtful for the matchup. Victor Oladipo, TJ Warren, Doug McDermott, and former Bull Jakar Sampson all listed as questionable. And it's my understanding that Zach Levine is actually going to miss the game as well. Uh, Jason, what's your thoughts on this upcoming matchup? Uh, yeah, normally I would say Pacers easy favorite. Obviously, as you mentioned, uh, they're going they, they're going for the sweep. The Pacers, have, I guess, the last game was pretty close. That was Victor Oladipo's return game, mm-hmm. uh, and the Pacers had that late comeback and they won in overtime. Oladipo struggled; he had that big shot. Uh, I mean, I guess it would not surprise me if the Bulls win this game simply because all those Pacers injuries. I guess we'll have to see about T.J. Warren. I know he he's one of the better scorers on the Pacers. Uh, we'll see, like, Doug McDermott, former Bull. Obviously, he's a good shooter. Uh, we'll see about Oladipo. So, uh, I guess right now with all these, with all those pieces of injuries, it's probably maybe a toss-up. The Bulls have had their issues. Obviously, they're 21-41. and 41. They, they are, The Bulls are getting a bit healthier. You did mention Zach Levine. 
Uh, I believe I haven't seen the latest the latest uh, injury report, but I believe he was going to miss probably probably this next game as well uh, because he's got a quad injury. He missed last night uh, the Wednesday night's game against the Timberwolves. Um, and then, but the Bulls are they have gotten some other guys back. They got uh, Otto Porter back recently. They got Wendell Carter Jr. back recently. They just got Lowry Markin back, so they are getting a bit healthier. So I think it'll be interesting. Like I said, normally I would say Pacers easy. Easy winner there, but I think it's going to be a competitive game. I do think it's going to be a competitive game because while the Pacers were just on a four-game winning streak, it was against you know non-playoff teams, and some of the wins did not look as convincing as you would have hoped. I mean, San Antonio was a close uh, game that the Pacers were able to pull out as well as against Portland. So I'm not going to overlook the Bulls here. But as we mentioned, Zach Levine's going to be missing this game. Now, I'm a fan of Zach Levine's game, and my co-host... Alex Golden is a huge fan of Zach Levine's game. What did you think when he got snubbed from the All-Star game? Did you think it was a true snub? Like, did Levine have a a, a big case here? Or did you kind of think, hey, look, due to our record, I understand why they didn't pick Levine. Yep, I was more the latter. Uh, he had a case. I mean, he's putting up like 25 points a game. He's pretty efficient scorer. He's carried the Bulls in quite a few games, basically won them single-handedly with the scoring. But ultimately... I had, just looking at all the all the candidates for the roster in the Eastern Conference, I had a feeling he would just come outside it. And obviously that happened to Bradley Beal as well, and Bradley Beal made a big stink about it. But Beal was also in a similar situation to Levine on a bad team, putting up some big numbers. Uh, at that at that point, Beal hadn't kind of gone on his absolute nutso streak that he's been on recently. But him and Levine were pretty similar in that case, and I kind of figured that they would go with, especially with the coaches picking the reserves, that they'd go with. Guys on better teams, guys like Domantas Sabonis, guys like Bam Adebayo. Like obviously Jimmy Butler was a no-brainer as a reserve. Uh, ben Simmons as well. But yeah, like, looking like some fans may say, "Oh, like, when you look at a guy like Sabonis, uh, who's obviously really good, I I thought he should have made it for sure." But I mean, you look at an All-Star game, it's like, well, Domantas Sabonis, big guy, like he's not exciting. Like put in a guy like Zach Levine or Bradley Beal. But I mean, it's it's not just, it's not just for the pure entertainment factor. And Sabonis earned it. Dan Adebayo earned it, being big impact guys on really good teams. And I mean, I think Zach understands that as well. He said it before the season. He said it after when he didn't make the team that a lot of times it comes down to the wins and losses. And if you if you lose a lot of games, you're way under 500, you're going to get overlooked for stuff like that. So ultimately, you could argue, like I said, you could argue he made a case. But ultimately, when you're when you're that when you're that on that bad of a team and you're not lifting your team as not that it's necessarily his fault because. Bulls have had injuries. The Bulls have just been kind of bad in general. Uh, that's what happens. You get overlooked for stuff like this. No, it's true. Make no mistake about it. Zach Levine is an all-star level talent. I do think that he will eventually make the all-star game. But it's going to have to come with the Bulls just getting more wins. Just, just flat out. I mean, it's easier said than done. This Bulls team, a lot of young, promising talent. Now, when you're mentioning that... Larry Markkinen's coming back. Wendell Carter Jr. You know Otto making the comeback. If the Bulls are going to pull this game off, who needs to be the guy that the Pacers are looking to stop in this game with Levine absent? Uh, well, a lot of it will be Kobe White, uh, rookie guard, who's been playing incredibly since uh, the All Star break. He was just named Rookie of the Month for February. He had that recent string of. Uh, 30, I think he had 33 points in three straight games. He put up 26 the other night against the Timberwolves. I think he's hit 20 in like five or six straight games. He's just been on fire lately. He had really struggled for much of the season. Early in the season, 
Uh, he had a few big games that he kind of and that he was huge in, in some Bulls wins. But uh, leading up to like the All Star break, he was kind of hitting that that so called rookie wall. He was really struggling with his shooting. Uh, not much a defender. The playmaking still a work in progress. Basically, ever since the first game out of the All Star break, he struggled. Basically, since then, he's just been absolutely on fire. And with Zach Levine out, he's basically been the the main go to scorer. Uh, obviously, you mentioned Larry Markkinen. He's had a disappointing season, but uh, he did play pretty well in his first first game back. He had, I think, 13 points against the Timberwolves out of minutes restriction. I, I, him, Otto, and Wendell are all on minutes restrictions. Um, so, I mean, you'll have to, obviously you'll have to keep an eye out for those guys because those guys are considered some of the better players. Uh, outside of that, Denzel Valentine's been kind of a streaky shooter type. He's been starting in place of Zach Levine, and he likes to get his shots up. So be on the lookout for him. But, yeah, I think mainly Kobe White, guy to watch. You'll, you'll want to keep an eye on him and make sure you don't lose him. I got a lot of respect for Kobe White's game. I think he is one of the promising young guards in this league who is getting overshadowed by what John Morant and Zion are doing this year because those guys being in the same rookie class, I mean, the NBA is in great hands moving forward. When you're mentioning that, Larry, not really putting together the year that you hoped, uh, he's someone who I went to bat for uh, coming into this year as I just... I really like what he brings to the table. So it's going to be interesting because with the Bulls, I feel like if you could just stay healthy and these players can grow together, they can move forward together and be in the hunt for that 8th seed, the 7th seed, especially in a year where the 7th and 8th seed are a significant amount of games below 500. So it's got to be kind of a letdown to not really be as in the hunt as you would have liked. But Someone who the Pacers know quite well from his time with the Pacers, Jim Boylan. Jim Boylan, I feel like it seems like he's had some rifts with, with the players before. I mean, whether it's calling you know untimely timeouts at the end of the game, like ten, you know, you're down ten, about thirty seconds to go, or talking about the quote boot camp mentality that he wants to bring back to practice. I mean, Jason, it it sounds like he's clashing with these players a little too much and. Do you think he's going to be brought back after this year? Yeah, the Boylan thing is obviously a big conversation among fans and just, I mean, in the the Bulls in general. It seems like every week, there's or every, almost every game at this point, there's just something goofy going on. You mentioned the timeout thing. That that that's a story that kind of went national. He's been getting mocked on like a national level uh, during the three point contest when Zach Levine was shooting. Uh, I think John Hollinger made a joke about. Boylan like taking a timeout in the middle like as Levine was finishing up his <laughs> yeah. his rack it's like that th- that timeout thing has kind of taken on a life of its own uh and yeah the, the relationship with Zach Levine going back to last season uh when the Bulls were really struggling last season uh Levine made some comments that clearly seemed to be taking shots at Boylan uh they allegedly had made up and uh were all good coming to this season but again this season there's definitely been some comments some issues there was a game earlier this season against Miami where Boylan pulled Levine like five minutes into the game for some alleged defensive miscues. And uh, Levine was happy about that. And there's been some other, other times as well where Levine has looked frustrated with those timeouts. Uh, he's been caught on camera. Like, why, like, why are we doing this? Why are we calling this timeout? So that's, that's definitely been a big storyline. Uh, I mean, there have been other, other players uh, have known, like at, at all-star weekend, Wendell Carter jr. Was asked about Boylan and he just kind of laughed about the relationship. Like he said, oh, he said the relationship was great. He said all the right things, but he even admitted last season they didn't get along that great until things kind of went along. So, yeah, I mean, there are definitely questions about how he's getting along with players. It was all 
all hunky-dory coming into the season with all these losses piling up, with more frustration, with some of the goofiness that's been going on and some of these gaffes and his comments. Uh, it is not – Jim Boylan is definitely is loathed by the fan base. Uh, I, I would be shocked if he comes back. I mean, there's all the reporting that uh, the front office loves him, John Paxton loves him, but then there's supposedly going to be changes in the front office. So you would think if they bring in – a new voice in the front office that he'll get the opportunity to hire his own coach. So given the disappointment, given just kind of the, the general embarrassment level, the bulls are on a, on a national level. Like I, I would be stunned if he comes back. Uh, so would I. And, and Jason, I think it's just finally hit its point because for years, the Chicago bulls, they were, you know, if not number one at the very top of the league in attendance, and I feel like that's even started to drop off a little bit. Um, still strong compared to plenty of other teams. But I just feel like the frustrations with the front office, the frustrations with you know Jim Boylan, and just obviously you know not being able to put out a consistent winner ha- has got to be pretty tough. And I think that this has to be the year that some changes are made in the front office. Because, I mean, there's talent here. There really is. And I feel like there's a handful of coaches that could be getting more out of this group but one thing that the Pacers and the Bulls have in common that we might not have realized both are bottom five in the league in free throw attempts and rebounds per game how frustrating is that to you because it drives me nuts <laughs> uh and the free throw thing is not that surprising the Bulls don't have many like outside of Zach they just don't really have many dynamic guys off the dribble that can go get to the line I mean you look at uh, I mean, you look at Larry Markkinen, he's not really a big free-throw shooter. I mean, Kobe White, as good as he's been recently, he's not a guy who gets to the line. Uh, I mean, just up and down the rock, like Tomas Sadoransky, the starting point guard, isn't really like a, your dynamic off-the-dribble guy who can go drive the basket and get fouled. So it's really kind of just Zach Levine there. Uh, so that's really not that surprising. I, I wouldn't. I don't know if I, I would say it's that frustrating. The rebounding is definitely more frustrating, and that was something that Boylan lost his mind about after this Wolves game. He was ripping the team for their lack of toughness and not rebounding enough. And, uh, I mean, even though the game against the Timberwolves wasn't even that bad in terms of rebounding, but we've seen a lot of times this season where they've just gotten mashed inside, mashed on the boards. It happened against the Knicks recently. It was happening a ton earlier in the season where they were just getting smacked around. Uh, and it definitely is frustrating. I and mean, you look at the roster, obviously they have had some injuries with Lowry and Wendell Carter being out. But when they were healthy at the beginning of the year, it was a struggle as well. And, uh, I mean, you could put that on – you could put that on the players. I think you could put that on the coaching as well because something that Thaddeus Young brought up recently was just about their system. Uh, they do this, uh, the blitzing system where they blitz pick and rolls really aggressively. That, that gets their, the, the center usually out way away from the basket, so that kind of gets them out of position sometimes, and they have to scramble for rebounding, and sometimes that hurts them. So, yeah, it's been a problem all season. Uh, can't really see it getting fixed this season. They'll have to, something that, that, that'll have to address moving forward. Oh, they will. And someone that you bring up, a fan favorite in Indiana, Thaddeus Young. I mean, he was, everybody referred to him as the glue guy. And I I understand what the Bulls are trying to do, bringing in a veteran like Thad to help teach some of these young bigs, you know, Wendell, Laurie. But I don't know. I felt like his timeline didn't match up with the Bulls properly. And I believe it was about a $36 million contract over three years. I believe it was. It was basically about $12 million per year. Uh, did you think it's the right fit for this team? Because veteran leadership is very important, but I find it hard to believe that Thad might finish the season next year with the Bulls. Seems like a prime potential trade candidate. What do you think on that? 
And I, I totally understood the move when they made it. He was clearly their top target. They agreed to that deal. I think it was like 40, 40 million. I think it was $36 million guaranteed. I think mm-hmm. it was like 40 41 overall. That that third season's got uh, a little bit of non-guaranteed money on there. But, I mean, I, like I said, I understood it. They did need that veteran presence. They wanted to add more toughness, more two-way players. Thad, as you know, was fantastic mm-hmm. last season. He had one of the best years, best years of his career. It just really hasn't worked out. Obviously, he came in when you have Larry Market and Wendell Carter there, like your front court of the future. They're going to start. So Thad was coming off the bench. Uh, he wasn't really playing that much. Uh, they were kind of changing his role. Obviously, he's more of a guy who finishes inside, bangs around down low, and they've been kind of turning him more into a stretch big. Uh, so he, there was reports earlier in the year that he was not happy with his role, that he was that they mi- might might have kind of even misled him on what the expectations that he was going to bring to the table. Uh, so this really hasn't worked out. I was kind of surprised they did not trade him this year. I, I mean, I understand why they didn't. They didn't want to just trade him for nothing. He does have another year next year, and then in that third year, that's not fully guaranteed. But there was the rumor that the Clippers were interested, but clearly the Clippers, they prioritized getting Marcus Morris, and that worked out for them. Uh, and I totally understand that Marcus Morris is having a great season, maybe fits a little better with what they were wanting. Um, there were really no other rumors about Thad Young out there. But, yeah, I mean, I guess we'll see how – in this off season or maybe going into next season, uh, if they don't trade him in the off season, I'm assuming they're going to try to, again, take a step forward next year and he'll be that veteran again. But if, if they do not do that, if they struggle again next season, I'd be stunned if Thaddeus Young is still on the roster past the deadline next season. I completely agree. I think it's only a matter of time until he gets moved, but I do think that the Bulls are going to want to still see where the team's at next year before just yeah. kind of making an off-season move. I think he'll be on that Chicago roster to start the year at the very minimum. But being a central division rival of ours, I mean, we're also sharing another common thing, uh, the fear for the Bucks because the Bucks just handled the Pacers pretty convincingly the other night. They, they won by 19 points. Are you worried about a potential decade-plus run of dominance from Giannis, or do you really think there's any chance that maybe he leaves the Bucks in free agency moving forward? It seems like they're prepared to build a winner around him, and right now, I mean, they're on pace for a uh, basically close to 70 wins. I think they'll probably finish at about 67, 68. Yeah, I don't think they're going to make it. Uh, yeah, I mean... All signs point point to him staying. Obviously, you never know what can happen in the NBA. Stuff gets crazy. Uh, we'll see how they do in the playoffs this year, if they make it to the finals, if they win it all. I mean, if they fall short, I'm sure the the, the, the if they fall short of making it to the finals, I think that's basically – if they fall short of the finals, that's a big disappointment considering just how dominant they've been. Uh, I said if they make the finals, that, that Supermax extension is going to be on the table for them. Uh, I would assume he takes it. I mean, all signs point the way he said. Uh, he's basically said as, as long as they commit to me and they commit to building a winner that he'll stay. He's, he claims he doesn't care about the big market stuff. I know there were people making a big deal about his comments about playing with his brothers, maybe in L.A., but I think that was just his, one of his brothers plays in L.A., so it just kind of mm-hmm. rolled up that way. And like, I, just, I didn't really make much of that. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, if he sticks around uh, – Chris Middleton just re-signed a long-term contract. He's been incredible this season. They obviously have a few nice younger players around them. Uh, they'll obviously that's the kind of team when you have those types of guys that they'll they'll attract veterans. Obviously, they have some decent veterans this year, and they can cycle through those veterans around those star players. I mean, Brooke Lopez has been has been great. 
Uh, Eric Bledsoe was still there. He just re-signed. I think that was last year. He got an extension. Mm-hmm. I know yep. there have been questions about his playoff performance, but I mean, when you got a top two of Giannis and then Middleton, and I mean, those guys are basically only getting better. If they're around there long term, you can fill around those guys, and you're looking at a, ju- a juggernaut for at least the next probably four or five years if Giannis stays. I, I mean, I don't. It's going to be it's going to be tough to just throw in them as long as Giannis is there and staying healthy. I think he stays. I think that they're. You know they treat him right. It sounds like they'll do whatever they can. I felt like it was kind of a, a mistake to not make a move at the deadline. I know they brought in Marvin Williams, but that was a very low risk. Maybe it was just not yeah. wanting to mess with the chemistry of the team, which I understand. If it's not broke, you know there's no need to fix it. However, I, I felt like this is your window right now to yeah. go all in for a championship. So I, I think they'll get out of the East, but. It's not a guarantee. You never know what's going to happen. So, wh- is there another team right now that you think could challenge the Bucks and get out of the East? In the East, I mean, Boston has been really good. I mean, the, the emergence of Jason Tatum as a superstar level player, I think, could possibly make them a threat. Obviously, I know uh, you worry, maybe worry about that front court, but Daniel Tice has been really has been really solid. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Celtics, they've been playing great, healthy. They're obviously super talented. When you look at Kemba, Tatum, Gordon Hayward, Jalen Brown's been great. And then they have Tice and they have Marcus Smart there. So, like, I mean, that's a really good team. I would still be surprised if they're able to win just because with Giannis there, like, I don't think that they don't have a Kawhi Leonard that they can, I mean, like I said, Tatum and Brown are good, but they're not Kawhi level where they can take over. And, I mean, the Bucks really, they the Bucks had that Eastern Conference Finals basically in their hands, and they just kind of fell apart, and Fred Van Vliet went crazy, and mm-hmm. obviously they had Kawhi. So, I mean, so they were right. They really probably should have made it to the finals last season, but it's kind of everything went against them those last four games, and they kind of blew it. And I think they're really out. They're, they're better this season, even without Malcolm Brogdon there. Better this season, another year of experience for them. Giannis is even better. Uh, so, I mean, I, I would be surprised. Like I said, the Celtics are good. The Raptors are obviously – they'll be back. They've been incredible. I know they're, they're slipping a bit lately. But, uh, I mean, I just don't think they'll have enough without Kawhi there in a playoff series. And then you look at those other teams. I mean, the Heat are a fun story with Jimmy Butler and that young crew, but they're not good enough to beat them. I know I know they've beaten the Bucks twice in the regular season. In the in the postseason, I just don't think the Heat's defense is good enough against the Bucks. And, I mean, the, obviously the Pacers are there as well. They're good, but I don't think they can do it either. And then, the, I mean, the Sixers, I guess, are like a huge wild card. We have no idea, like, what to make of the Sixers team. With Embiid and Simmons, you got the if those two guys there are healthy, like they could probably give them a run. They got the they got the size. But El Horford's been struggling. Embiid and Simmons have been dealing with injuries. They just there's just been something off with that team. They've been terrible on the road. So while the talent's there for the Sixers, it just doesn't seem like they have. It's almost they're kind of like the Celtics of last season, where they have all this talent. It's just like never really quite worked out for them. So ultimately, definitely Bucks. I think they will come out of the East, but I mean, there are some other good teams there that could perhaps give them a run. I just don't think they'll have enough. I like the Sixers comparison to the Celtics of last year, because I want to know when do you think it's time to hit the panic button on the Sixers? I get it. Simmons and Embiid are both hurt now, but this team has not come anywhere close to what preseason expectations were. When you mentioned Al Horford, that contract looks horrible now. The fit looks bad. And I feel like everyone is just waiting around for them to just flip a switch and become the team that people thought they would be, where people were talking, you know, maybe Sixers out of the East, at least a top two seed. Well, right now they're sitting at the sixth seed. I, I feel like we're, we haven't even heard 
the full extent of what's going on internally because we heard it addressed from Joel Embiid earlier this year saying there's oh it was Horford saying there's quote stuff going on yep. in the locker room right. that sounds pretty bad because that little thing just saying stuff makes it seem like there's a whole lot going on there so I, I'm I feel like with the Sixers hey I don't want to face them in the playoffs. I don't. I want to face Miami, just as you mentioned, because I feel like Miami overperformed in the first half of the year, and I'm curious to see what they do the rest of the year. Boston, they scare me. I don't want anything to do with that. And Toronto, I think they've kind of surpassed everybody's expectations for this year. I mean, they were on just a huge winning streak, but it's not to fault them, but maybe it might have been clicking at a, a little too early because if if Toronto was playing that type of basketball come playoff time or just right before it, everybody would be scared. But it seems like they have the opportunity to maybe cool off just a little bit. So, hey, if I'm the Pacers, I, I want to avoid Milwaukee, obviously, and I want to avoid Boston. The other ones, I'll, I'll take my opportunity, my, my shot with, but... Philly, I'm I'm with you. We're just kind of waiting around to see if they actually decide to flip this switch on. But I thought what would be fun to end this segment, who do you think uh, is the next playoff team up that's not a current playoff team? So the Bulls are in that category, but the Nets are not because they will make the playoffs and obviously Durant's coming. But which team do you think maybe is up next to at least sneak in the playoffs for next year? Eastern Conference or either Conference? Eastern Conference, sorry. Um, maybe the Hawks. I like it. I like uh, I it. Mean, you could say the. You could say the. I. 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 I can't just say. I can't have that much faith in the Bulls yet. I've. They've killed my trust in them. Like, and I. And the Hawks have obviously been really bad this season. But uh, they're going to have Capella back. Um, everyone. They're, they're super young this season. Exactly. Uh, Trey Young's obviously great. Uh, they, I said they're going to get Capella. Once A boatload of cash too. Yeah, they're gonna have all that cap space. I even though the free agent class is not that good this season, it's but, not. but if they add some decent veterans at least, because again, they're a super young team. And I think that that really hurt them this year. The John Collins suspension really hurt Ooh, them. But brutal. Collins is good. They'll have Capella. Trey Young is obviously an All Star. Uh, DeAndre Hunter and Cam Rush and Kevin Herter uh, can all develop. And then if they add some key veterans, uh, I think that's a really interesting team. They have to get a lot better defensively. I think they're hoping Capella could do that. But yeah, they were obviously brutal. Like early in the season, the Bulls smoked them multiple times a season and just like this this thing is just not looking good but lately with they've been playing a lot better lately again the capella they make the capella trade and they got him in the middle there uh i think they'll be really interesting like them them and the bulls both came into this season thinking that they were going to make a big jump and neither team did i so i think it's just going to be like next season we're going to expect that again that the bulls and the hawks are going to be the team that jumps up but we'll see because they when you look at Eastern Conference playoff picture, I was talking to a buddy about how it seems like probably one through seven, like said, with the Nets, the Nets there, and then basically those other six really good teams will probably be there again next season. So it's just going to be, like, you'll have the Magic kind of sitting there as well. Who knows what happens with them? And then you have, you have the Bulls, the Hawks. We'll see with the Wizards with John Wall coming back and if Bradley Beal sticks around. I would, if unless he asks out, which I guess he could. There's been all that drama kind of around there and, and just wondering what's going to happen with him. Maybe he tries to stick it out with one more year of John Wall when he comes back, so they'll be fighting for it as well. Uh, I can't imagine the Cavs or the Knicks actually make an actual jump yet, but I, you never know. But, I mean, the Knicks are obviously a huge joke, and the Cavs have their own problems too. So, yeah, I'm kind of, I, I, I kind of want the Hawks. To, if it's not the Bulls, I'd like to see the Hawks make a jump because they're just a fun young team. 
I, I like it. I'm not sold on the Magic being a consistent playoff team yeah. year in, yep. year out. So I think that eighth seed is up for grabs to a handful of teams. I think the Eastern Conference from top to bottom is going to be much more competitive uh, next year because, as you mentioned, I don't see any team just kind of falling apart and, and just dropping out of the playoffs. I mean, you imagine a team like Toronto, you know, the you know, Marcus Gasol, he's on his last legs. Kyle Lowry, he's getting older, but they're still uh, they're still going to be a playoff team. And then, you know, I expect the Pacers to obviously still be a playoff team. So it feels like it could be between the Hawks, the Bulls. Like, the, you can't tell me that one of those teams can't make the playoffs when the Hawks have all that money, all that young talent, and the Bulls have all that young talent too. So I think the, the best is ahead for the Eastern Conference. I think that it's starting to take a little bit of a shift and not be, you know, in the past it was far inferior to the West. But, hey, it's exciting right now. But, Jason, I want to thank you for coming on today. It's been a pleasure uh, chatting with you. And uh, tell us where we can find you on social media. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Bulls underscore J. And as you mentioned, you can find my, my written work at uh, Forbes. I do Bulls stuff. And then Estimations Bloggable. That's uh, at Bulls Blogger on Twitter. And then I do also please check out uh, ClutchPoints.com uh, for a bunch of NBA coverage there. You got it. Hey, thanks a lot for the time. And good luck in the game. Thanks so much. Have a good one. Thanks for having me on. Get some facts and come back and see. So get your facts straight. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. For my Fachi fact of the day, it was actually brought up by Pat Boylan. I love this stat. Uh, in the 26 games in 2020, DeMontis Sabonis is averaging... assists per game. And while he's playing power forward, we know he's a true center. Nikola Jokic and Will Chamberlain are the only other centers to have ever kept up that pace for an entire season. I know it's basically like a half a season, it's like a third of a season sample size. But I think that it really shows the true passing ability of DeMontis Sabonis. And I think that we're, he's only getting started. It seems like Sabonis is getting robbed of these triple-doubles quite often when he's having nine assists, but that's just us getting greedy because a lot of the offense you're seeing go through him, and I think that teams can be very successful when you're throwing the ball in for him to be throwing it outward to shooters. I love what I'm seeing in terms of uh, the growth that Sabonis has taken as a passer. We know uh, it doesn't hurt to have your father being Arvidas Sabonis, who was a great passer during his time. So just a fun little stat right there. Had to give a shout-out to Pat Boylan. Uh, I thought we'd wrap up this episode by talking about a little bit of the upcoming preview uh, against the Dallas Mavericks. The Pacers uh, will go into Dallas on Sunday and take on a Mavs team that is third in the league in points per game, second in made threes, as well as attempted Now, things did not go as the Pacers hoped the last time they played Dallas. Pacers dropped the game 112-103. to The sad part was there was no Luka Doncic in that game. I thought that the Pacers would be able to take care of business there. But, hey guys, we were also without TJ Warren. And it was uh, one of the earliest games in Victor Oladipo's comeback. Oladipo struggled from the field in that game, going 4 of 17, and Malcolm Brogdon struggled as well. Um, I believe he was about 
six of 17 or something very close to it. Either way, the guys combined for, you know, about 10 of 36 from the field. Now, the fact that Luka is back has me nervous because there's also in that game, Kristaps Porzingis was on fire. Porzingis had 38 points, 12 rebounds, had six made threes. Sabonis in that game, 26 points, 12 rebounds, 9 assists on 11 of 18 shooting. So, you know, while Sabonis had a great game, it doesn't really mean anything if you lose the game. So, man, how can the Pacers be able to take out Dallas? Well, it's going to be super tough. This was a, a Mavs team that out-rebounded the Pacers in that game. I believe it was 51-40. to uh, 40. The Pacers only committed four turnovers in that game. That is the crazy thing. Pacers played a great game holding on to the ball, but it was not enough. Hopefully, TJ Warren being in the lineup is enough, as well as you're hoping that Oladipo returns for this game. I think he will. I'm no doctor, but I felt like he will have been out for about a full week, um, having missed the Spurs game, having also missed uh, the recent game against Milwaukee, and we don't know his status yet for Chicago. He's listed for questionable. So I think Oladipo returns. I do think Malcolm Brogdon's probably out. I think the Pacers are going to want to play it safe with Brogdon moving forward. Just a pile of injuries. Just so many of them that it's starting to, I don't want to say comical, but it's like how much bad luck can one man have? Seven different injuries is is just far too much. So it's going to be tough for the Pacers to take out Dallas, Dallas coming into, I'd say about a few weeks ago, actually had one of the highest offensive ratings of all time. Starting to feel like a comical stat when, you know, guys, teams are getting so many more possessions. So I'm not feeling great about this game against the Mavericks, especially now that obviously there's no Jeremy Lamb, probably no Brogdon, and maybe no Oladipo. So it's going to be tough, but hey, we're going to be ready to rock. Um, and you just got to put your best foot forward there. But look, we're going to end this on a positive note. BC's Pacers are getting back to business. They still are in the fifth seed while I'm recording this podcast. I think we're going to get a nice tune-up game against the Chicago Bulls, a team that we are going for the season sweep. So wherever you are watching this game, please break out your broom because it's going to get dusty and we're cleaning up and you got to remember one thing. Let's go Pacers, all right? But, hey, it was a little premature because you got to know where to find us. You could find us on Twitter at SettingThePace3. You can find me on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. My co-host, Alex Golden, is on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. And you could also find us on Instagram at PacersTalk. Guys, it has been a pleasure delivering this episode to you on Friday. I hope you are enjoying your weekend. And at the end of the day, hey, three words I got for you. Let's go Pacers. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.